The truth of the matter is, is that we sometimes celebrate Easter and we think, well, this is great, this is wonderful. Easter service is definitely something that we want to honor and enjoy. And it is, as I said last week, I believe the most important day in human history. It is the day that Christ won victory over death in the grave. And so it is absolutely the most important day in human history, in my opinion. But I do not want us ever as a church or even as individual Christians and believers to think that just because Christ won victory over death, that that's the only victory that we are called to be living in. As a matter of fact, one of my very favorite passages of Scripture is found in John chapter 10, and it talks a little bit about how Jesus calls himself the, the good shepherd and the gate for the sheep. And in one of my favorite passages in John chapter 10, verse 10, so it's 10, 10, it's real easy to remember that way, but if you look at it, he talks about how he came that we might have abundant life. Jesus said again, therefore I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. And then this is the part that is familiar and probably one that you might have heard before. The thief comes only to kill, to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and might have it to its fullest. And I love this passage of scripture because this clearly tells us that Jesus didn't come just to win victory on Easter Sunday. He came that we might have victory all the 364 other days of the year as well. And if you are a Christian who just simply believes that one day you're going to have victory in Christ, that one day, probably at the very end of your life, you'll pass from this life into victory you are missing what Jesus desired for us to experience. Now, I'm very clear. I'm very down to earth. I'm very much a realist and a pragmatist. You do not get to live in just this overwhelming bathed glow of heaven every single moment just simply because you're a Christian. It's called real life, and it happens. Can I get an amen on that, right? I mean, it's not always easy to live real life, but here's what I know. I know that Christ came that we might have abundant life. And even in the midst of difficulties, difficult circumstances, hard times, even in the midst of a valley, he does not want us to just simply be waiting for that great one someday all the way in our future. He says, I want you to have life and I want you to have it more abundantly. But here is what I believe with all of my heart. I believe that too many of us as Christians, and just to be very blunt, too many of us as human beings, we get too comfortable and we don't actually push towards becoming the people that God wants us to be, the, the people that we're actually capable of being. Did you know that they, they say that most people graduate high school or graduate college and the moment that they're done, they never ever pick up another book to read because they just simply don't have to anymore. It's not that they wouldn't benefit from reading a book. It's not that they wouldn't benefit from the things that are shared within the cover of a book. It's just that they don't have to do it, so they choose not to. Too many of us as Christians are in the same vein where we say, well, we don't have to do these things. And so it, church growth, I mean, pardon me, personal growth would be good. Going to church is good, but those things just, 
eh, you know, if they happen, they happen. If they don't, they don't. And I'm not really required to do that. So I'm just okay with where I'm at. And that's not at all what God wants. He wants his children to experience new life and abundant life. I'm just going to share with you very quickly a couple of resources that if you do choose to read, uh, go a little deeper or read something, this is on Audible, and I would highly recommend if you do want to grow a little bit, there is a way to just each and every month get an audio book for about $14, $15 a month. It's called Audible, and you can download it to your phone and have it with you wherever you want to go. I'm reading, quote-unquote, the book, How People Grow, and I'll be referencing that over the next couple of weeks. But it's one of these... Um, that is written by Dr. Henry Cloud, what the Bible reveals about personal growth. And I want to just share a couple of quotes real quickly about what Dr. Cloud has to say about uh, Christian growth or spiritual growth. So let's go to this next slide. And it says, the lesson that gets to heart of this book, How People Grow is the book that we just referenced, we wanted to bring the idea of working on relational and emotional issues back into the mainstream of spiritual growth. Spiritual growth should affect relationship problems, emotional problems, and all other problems of life. There is no such thing as our spiritual life and then our real life. It is all one. And then he goes on and he just condenses it down into one little catchphrase. And he says, all growth is spiritual growth. Let me just explain what he's talking about. Just think about this for just a quick second. Would it make it easier for you to follow Christ if you had given him over the things in your relationships? Would those be healthier relationships? Yes. So because of that, that kind of growth helps you spiritually. Think about what about your own physical body? I don't know if you guys have had to deal with COVID or whatever. I know that some of you have. Some of you haven't. Praise God if you haven't. Some of you have had to deal with it. And I'm telling you, no matter how good you want to feel, there are times where your body just won't let you feel good because of what you're going through physically. And so it is a physical thing, but it is also a spiritual thing if you don't have the energy to get up and go and do. And so a physical body that is better is better for your spiritual life. You can keep going on and on down the list all this growth affects your spiritual life, your spiritual outlook. All growth is spiritual growth, and I believe this. I also just wanted to put up a podcast real quickly if you wanted to go a little deeper. He wrote a book. This is the uh, picture of Dr. Henry Cloud. He wrote a book called Boundaries. You might have even seen it, Boundaries for Leaders or Boundaries with Your Children. Some of you guys probably have seen those books around. He wrote those books, but he also has a podcast called Boundaries.me Podcast. And you can look that up and follow along and go a little deeper if you'd like any time. Now, I want to just share with you one more thing that sometimes during these lessons and these uh, you know, different times, I share with you a passage of Scripture that you can begin to memorize. It's one to remember. And if you remember this passage of Scripture, it will help you to grow. But let's go to this passage, this one to remember. That is our next slide. It is from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2a. And basically, Paul writes in there, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, I'm going to hit pause 
That means that worship is not songs that we sing. It is a body, mind, spirit, every part of our being that is given over to God and for his purposes. That's what true worship is. And then he goes on and he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Of your mind. That word transformed there in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 is the same word that we get kind of like a metamorphosis from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Now, can I ask you guys a quick question? How many of you have ever seen a butterfly flutter by? Any of y'all ever seen a butterfly in flight? Majestic, beautiful, gorgeous. How many of you have ever seen a caterpillar stroll on by? Any of y'all? Very different. (laughs) Very, very different. Same creature, the difference being time and the grace of God shared with this caterpillar that becomes an incredible, beautiful creature. Very, very different than what he began as. This is what I'm sharing with you today because I want you to grasp this. I want you to get this. God is basically saying in his word, transform from the ugly side of Randy to the more beautiful, majestic, and better side of who I have the ability to be if God is given freedom to move. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Now, I know you don't care about being a better Randy. You be a better you. I'm going to be a better Randy, okay? That's all I can do, and that's all that he is asking for us to be. Very important, but do not get to the place where you're just simply comfortable being a person who has a lot of caterpillar and not a lot of butterfly in your spiritual life. Get to the place where you say, no, 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 I need to grow. I need to let Easter's power flood into my life and transform. And all transformation starts in the mind. Actually, this is a really good uh, article. It is in the passage, uh, on the next slide. Uh, I just wanted to share a couple of passages later on in the message. But this is from Christianity Today. And it says very bluntly, transformation starts in the mind. And you go back to what we shared with you from Romans chapter 12. Transform yourself by the renewing of your mind. During every week that we share over the next few weeks, I'll be talking about how you change your mind and how you change your methods. It's the internal and the external. We're gonna talk about those things, but it always, always, always begins first and foremost with the mind. Very quickly, one more quote from Dr. Cloud, and then we'll watch a quick mini movie. We know that God is our creator, but we mean that as God created life from non-life, but we have to take the realization deeper than just creation. It also means that God brings life to dead situations in our lives. In other words, whatever you think is beyond God's power, don't forget, not only did he raise Jesus from the dead, but he created something out of nothing. And so if you have a situation, you say, well, not even God can bring it back. Man, bite your tongue, because God can do whatever he wants to do. And he is the one who has the final say. And he goes on, God is not only the creator, but the recreator of life. Amen. It becomes the theology of how one overcomes a depression or how one heals a marriage or how one rescues a failing business career. This is what we want. We want God's power flowing in every part of our lives, not just simply the the spiritual part.
That's what this next movie is about. I want you guys to check out this movie. It's going to be up here on the screen. Check it out. About two or three minutes video. I think it'll be a blessing to you and help drive it home. We were not created to live stagnant lives. To be stuck, bound, or broken. We were created with a purpose, a calling, a mandate, a mission. Even in these uncertain times, that calling remains the same. To go into the world, to make disciples, to share the love of Jesus. This is the work of Easter. The greatness of God, the power of the resurrection in action. What Jesus did has changed us, made us a new creation, given us an unimaginable hope. Grace has taken root, mercy has flooded our souls, and the promise of eternity has redefined our everything. So why keep all that to ourselves? It's time to put Easter in motion, to make a difference, to share Jesus with the world around us. If your life has been changed, it's time to get to work. So let me just kind of begin as I tell you, this is one of the stories that I love in the scripture, but I don't actually have a whole lot of sermons that I've preached on this passage. It's the biggest transformer, one of them at least, in the entire scriptures. It is the Apostle Paul who transformed from being a man who was persecuting the church to being its biggest advocate and its biggest evangelist. And so I want to talk over the next couple of weeks about this Damascus Road experience. Some people have literally even begun to call anything that kind of changes you in a dramatically different kind of way a Damascus Road experience. It all comes from the passage of Scripture that we just had Peter read from Acts chapter 9. You look at this passage and you look at what happened to Paul. He is traveling along, and I'm just going to kind of paraphrase what's happening, and we'll talk about it and share a little bit about it. But let's go with our something to learn first and foremost. Let's do that first. The risen Jesus appears to Saul of Tarsus. We later know him as Paul. He is a young Jewish rabbinical student, and he later is well known as Paul. But on the road to Damascus, Syria... He has a, a confrontation with the risen Lord. Paul was going from town to town compelling new Christians to either recant their belief in Jesus as the Messiah or he would put them into stocks and take them back and present them to the high priest where they could face even death. And so it was a huge deal to have Paul kind of fall off of his donkey on the way to Damascus. He hits the ground and he cannot see. The Bible tells us just 
kind of my own paraphrase, that in the midst of it all, the things that are happening for Paul are clear to him, but not necessarily fully clear to those around him. And so as he is there, struck blind, he is asking and having a conversation with an entity that other people don't hear. So it's an internal thing that's going on that changes Paul's external life for the rest of his life. He never is the same man from this point forward. He is transformed by the power and the face-to-face meeting of Jesus Christ. And so as he goes on this road, as he's knocked to the ground, he hears a voice and it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he's like, uh, who are you, Lord? Maybe you could identify yourself. Maybe you could be a little more clear. I've probably been persecuting a few folks. Who are you, Lord? And then Jesus says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Actually, over the next couple of weeks, we'll talk a little bit more about how Paul recants and tells even different stories about all of this experience that he has. The Bible tells us that he stands up, others around him do not hear the voice, but they hear sounds. But in the midst of it all, Paul is being spoken to at the very center of who he is. The very core of his being shifts in this time, but it's not immediate. As a matter of fact, he has to be led by the hand. These men take him and lead him by the hand to a place where he is quiet and still and by himself and kind of in this quiet reflection in some way for about three days. And then in the process of this, it's very interesting, Paul is waiting and he gets a vision from God that somebody with the name Ananias is going to come and pray for him, and that when that happens, he is going to be able to see again. Now, let's be very clear. Paul had given his entire life to going against Christians up to this point. He was all about being a rabbi and a rabbinical student. We know him first time when we look at him and we meet him in Acts chapter 7. And if you look at Acts chapter 7 that's going to be up here on the screen, here it is. It tells us that basically when Stephen, the very first martyr to Christianity, is, gives his life, all of the people that are throwing stones at him are about to pick up the stones and they take their outer cloaks off and they take those cloaks and they place them at the feet of a young man standing and watching it all happen. And that young man's name is Saul. Can you imagine for a minute? I don't know if any of you guys have ever had this experience. I know some of y'all have served in the military. But I have never had the experience of seeing somebody die a violent death. Now, I have had the opportunity to be in a room where someone has passed from this life to the next. I served in hospice. And so because of that, I've been in the room a number of different times when one person has taken their last breath on this side of eternity and stepped into the next one, into the next door, and goes into eternity and there is with the Lord. I've been there and it is a powerful, powerful moment. I could... I I won't, but I could go down and I could tell you about certain individuals that took their last breath as I was watching their chest rise and fall, rise and fall, and then just simply fall and never rise again. 
it is a powerful, life-changing kind of moment. I can't hardly even discuss it in an overall sense without getting choked up in chills. If you can even imagine Paul, Saul, if you want to call him either one, he's watching a man, not at the end of his life, but a young man in the prime of his life, being violently separated from his life here in this earth and entering into eternity. And the Bible says that he was there and giving consent to the death of Stephen. This is what he wanted to see happen. So Paul changes pretty dramatically from the point of his Damascus Road experience. And so as he's there watching this young man breathe his last, the Bible tells us he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then when he said this, Philip, the young man who died, fell asleep. It all happened in front of Paul. We know him as Saul. And so uh, we know this young man had a very, very different viewpoint of life than after he encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road. It changed everything in his world, and he was transformed, as was his entire life from that point forward. Now, let's just talk about this very quickly. This is something very important. This is the big idea for you and I to grasp. Your internal, your internal world always eventually manifests in your external world. I'm going to say it one more time because I kind of screwed it up. And now I'm a little nervous because if you haven't noticed, I've started making you guys say it out loud with me and I couldn't even say it and I wrote it. So we're going to try to muddle through here together in just a second. But we're going to say this together in a moment. But it is your internal world always eventually manifests in your external world. Would you guys say that aloud with me? All right, I'm going to slow it down. Here we go. Your internal world always eventually manifests in your external world. Here's what that means. That means stuff can't keep going on inside until it eventually makes its way out. It always does. Maybe not to the degree that you thought, maybe not in the way you thought, but whatever is going on in here eventually works its way out. Now let's hit pause. Y'all know that, right? Y'all have had that experience, right? I mean, you can't be upset with your kids for weeks and weeks and weeks until they say something that sets you off and you say, oh yeah, well, you know, dad's been holding his tongue for a little while, but right now it's about to be manifested in your external world, right? We've done that. You've done that. And it's not just been your kids. It's been your husband. It's been your wife. God help you. It might have even been your boss. I mean, if that's the case, pray for you. Hopefully it wasn't too bad. You've been your friends. You've been there and done that. Maybe it's been your mama. Maybe it's been your daddy. I don't know. It's just things that go on in your life inside can only stay inside for so long and eventually they find their way out. So you had better pay attention to what is always going on on the inside of you because it eventually finds its way out. Here's what this, is, here's what this can mean for you. Let's go to this next slide very quickly. Sow a thought, you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. You guys have all seen this before. 
This is so important. And we're going to be talking about the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talks about those things that are happening inside of you being things that eventually find their way out. We're going to be talking about that on Wednesday night in our Zoom class. Why? Because God said it's important. What's happening inside of you matters. Let's just go a little further. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed. Let's go to this one. It says your internal need level sets your outer level of willingness to settle for less than your best. How many of you all have ever made the huge mistake of going grocery shopping when you were starving to death? Any of y'all ever had that experience before? Like you went in there for three items, you were starving, you came out $635 later and you thought, how in the world am I even going to get all this home? You've been there. I've done that. We've all had this experience. Why? Because we have a need and that'll fill it and, and that'll fill it and that'll fill it. You know, they say that the expensive things that you shouldn't buy, the things that have very little really good food for you are the things that you crave the most when you're that hungry. And so you and I don't just tend to spend too much money. We also spend it on the wrong things. That's just the truth. Now, can I get a little more personal? If you've got an internal need that is so deep, it is something that is like a gaping hole in your heart. And you haven't filled that up to know who you are in Christ, to know that you're worth more than the, than the things that other people would tell you that you're worth. That you will not settle for certain things because you just know that you have been destined and called to be better than those things. If you haven't grasped that yet, it's possible that you will settle for second best in your life or maybe third best in your life or maybe even 10th best in your life but it will feel like it's a good thing and then you wonder why you constantly got this treadmill of mediocrity in your life. You know you were created and destined for more, but you never give yourself the opportunity to truly transform beyond that because the need in your heart is talking to you so loud that you'll take anything just to shut that need up and shut that need down. And so you settle. And then your whole life is undoing the settling that you did in the first place. Now, I know that y'all have masks on. Some of y'all have masks on. But I'm telling you, that's deep. That's not from me. That is deep stuff, though. And if you haven't started to fill that hole in your heart, I'm telling you, the only one who can fill it is not me, is not you, is not someone else, is not another thing or another person. It is only God and God alone. And until you have that need being filled by the God who created you with the need for him and him alone, then you will always settle for less and you will never have the victory that God wants you to have. Now, I could keep going here. Let, let me go to this next one. I think I already said it here. You don't make decisions when you're emotional or tired or vulnerable. That's the same concept. Or you can go to this next one here and it says your internal need sets that outer level. That's if there is no void inside of you, there's no leverage or control. Here's what I mean by that. Did you realize that the less and less and less you care about certain things, there's less and less of this world that controls you? Now, I would just tell you this. For you and for me, we always have an internal dialogue going on in our head. And if God is not in control of that, there are people 
and companies and there are individuals who know how to control you because they know what you desire above all things. You know, the truth of the matter is, is like we can't even walk through this world without revealing to certain companies what we have. Have y'all ever had that experience where you're online and you're like, man, I don't care about football tickets right now, but yet I've seen 35 ads for football tickets because I did one Google search for one gift for a friend. Have y'all ever had that experience? So why is that the case? Because they know the, the they, the they, the big brother they out there. They know by what you've been searching for what you have a desire for. And so they send you all this stuff. But here's the thing. Satan does the same thing in your life. He knows what presses your buttons. And if you can't let that die within you, then you will always be leveraged like somebody twisted your arm and took you wherever they wanted you to go. Do you understand? Now, this is really important. Teenagers, some of y'all, I'm glad you're in here. I, I, I would not not want you to go to the back, but I'm glad you're here so you can hear this. The truth of the matter is, is that if it's not in here, they can't control you out there with that thing that they want to control you with. It's like somebody says to me, okay, let's, let's put it this way. Maybe you can identify. Now, I know this is not true of me. But let's just imagine that I am very delusional. I look in the mirror and I see myself and I think to myself, that guy ought to be in a bodybuilding contest because he looks good head to toe. All right, this is the idea here. If that's how I feel, somebody comes along and goes, Randy, I'm looking a little pudgy today. I'd go, what are you talking about? I don't look pudgy. I look great. Why? Because in my head, it's just right. It's just right. And so those who want to hurt me with those things can't touch me because I've got a different narrative going on in my mind. You guys with me? Trying to make it funny so you remember. But let's go a little deeper. If you've never told yourself that you are beautiful the way that God made you, people can push your buttons and control you in ways that you just never want to be controlled if you tell yourself nothing but you're stupid and that you're not intelligent, then people can control you in ways that you never want to be controlled. You're giving them the power tools to work you over if because you just haven't got to the place where the internal dialogue is more committed and transformed than what you see on the outside and on the surface. If you guys understand where I'm coming from on that, y'all give me an amen. We'll keep moving. Amen? So learn it, man. Transform it. It begins in your mind. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. All right, very quickly. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. God changes Saul slash Paul forever with three parts of transformation that happen for everybody. If there's ever going to be a transformation in your life, it begins with God's power. It always involves other people. And there is the internal and external part of your life. It's not one or the other. It's always both. It is the internal dialogue and the external decisions. It's the mind and the method that changes. Let me just share with you very quickly as we kind of keep going here. Here's how you can change your mind. Here's how you can change your mind. You begin by working on your interior world. 
You give yourself headspace and time for introspection. You give yourself headspace and time to know yourself a little bit better. Have you noticed that there is something always available to distract you? Seriously, this is a real question and I want you to think about it. Have you figured out that with our phones constantly being with us and being able to watch videos on our phone or connect with people from all over the world or watch whatever it might be on Netflix or Hulu or any of the other 30,000 streaming services that they're starting to put out, right? You always have something to distract you. Have you noticed that? So you know what suffers in that kind of world? Your spiritual life, your understanding of yourself. You don't have to know yourself. All you got to do is just be distracted to not care about yourself anymore. I promise you, I don't know if you've ever really, really stopped to think about it, but there are fewer and fewer and fewer people who know themselves well because they just never give headspace and never give time. Can I back up a little bit? We go here and we accept the wrong that God believes. Let's leave it right there, just right there. Thank you, buddy. Perfect. Here's what happens. When Saul gets knocked to the ground and is blind for three days, he has to have somebody lead him around. Now, I don't know if you know this about Saul slash Paul. Dude is a type A personality. He's not the kind of guy who's like... Somebody come and help old Saul around today. That's not his style. He's like a hard charger. He's a go-getter. He is willing to confront. He wants to do that. He knows what he believes and why he believes it. He's a hard charger type A personality. Gets knocked to the ground off of the horse or donkey that he's riding on. And for three days straight, he's asking somebody, take me someplace safe. Take me to another spot. Take me inside the house. I, I can't see a thing. Can you help me? Now, I don't know about y'all, but I don't enjoy asking for help when I'm absolutely needing help and nobody, you know, I can't do anything without it. I don't know about y'all, but this is where Paul is. He's there. And what does he do? He starts thinking about himself. And did you hear the conversation on that Damascus road? Who are you, Lord? I'm sorry, didn't catch your name. New phone, who is this, right? I don't get it. Who am I talking to? Who's calling my name from heaven right now out of this blinding light and I can't see who you are? Who are you? I'm Jesus, the guy that you've been persecuting all of my followers. He's like, what? Jesus, no, no, no. Jesus is dead. I know this. But here is what is happening. He waits. He waits. He waits three days straight. Nothing going on in his world. Nothing that can change him. He's just got to think about the fact that he had it all figured out. He knew who Jesus was and wasn't. And then he went on the road to Damascus. Boom, got knocked down. And when he did, he had to have a conversation about not only who Jesus was, but what it meant for his life right now. You guys understand what I'm saying? Introspection. And then Jesus speaks to him and says, 
Everything that you thought you knew, you just no longer know. It's just all different from this point forward. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. Everything transforms in his mind. And maybe there was no room for people. If I were guessing, probably not a lot of room for people in Paul's world. He didn't exactly love people until later on when God got a hold of his heart. It was probably a difficult thing for him to care. But these are the ways that God confronts and changes our mind. Now let me make this real personal to you and to me. For some of us, we will never, ever, ever be the people that God wants us to be until we stop allowing ourselves to be distracted constantly. Because God will not have the opportunity to speak to you and say, Randy, will you change this about you and become more of what I want you to be in this area of your life? Now, that might not sound tragic to you, but I promise you there are people in your life that would love for you to be the dad that God wants you to be, the mom that God wants you to be. And you might be totally fine not being all that God created you to be. But there are a lot of people that wish that you would reach the potential that God gave you because they're the ones whose lives are not being checked off and, ah, oh, no big deal. Ah, oh, you know what? I can live with Randy because Randy's fine with Randy. Right? Well, you know who's not always fine with me? The people who wish that I'd become what God wanted me to be. The ones who want the very best, the ones who actually deserve the very best Christian that I can be. And you can make a long list, and you might be totally fine being who you are, but there are people who are never going to have the life that they could have until you decide, I'm done with second or third or fourth best. I will change what God has been trying to change in me for years. Now, I'm on you a little bit. I'm right up on you right now with this stuff, but can I tell you something? There are people in the scriptures that for years and even decades have been trying to change themselves, and God is working with them constantly about becoming the person that he wants them to become. If you're in a place where you have not transformed you're probably in good company because most of us are there. But let's not get comfortable being in that place forever because God wants more and our people that we love and want to see have more, they need more from you and from me. Very quickly, so you change your mind and you also change your methods. Let's go on here to this one. Let's go ahead and go to this next slide if you don't mind, Colin. Thank you. Here's how you change your methods. You make yourself accountable to another person. You make yourself accountable to another person. I'm here to tell you that I don't usually talk about these things, but I will tell you that there are things in my life that I never gained victory over until I started talking to somebody else. And I said to them, you can ask me anytime you want, any way you want, in any setting that you want about what is going on in my life in this area that I need victory in, that I haven't got victory over. Not, not yet. And so I gave them the freedom to ask at any time so I might always be on my guard. 
you and I know that the best way for us to actually make a change in our life is to start talking about making a change in our life to people who will hold us accountable. For some of you, part of what you love about Christianity is it's very, very personal and you never actually have to share it with other people. And so when you don't live up to what you promise to yourself that you're gonna do, nobody actually knows and you're good with that. Now, that's cool. You can get away with it, but you're still not becoming the person that God wants to see transformed by the renewing of their mind. For some of you, you need to reach out to somebody and say, would you please hold me accountable? I'm not doing this. I know I should be. But if you will ask me, I will tell you the truth. And sometimes it will be good and sometimes it will not be good. But you can always ask me. So I have to be accountable to someone with skin on about whether or not my spiritual life is growing deeper. And then very quickly, you can set an alarm on your phone for something. I just put the blank there because I'm not here to tell you exactly what you are supposed to do. But I know for me personally, there's some things that I want to see done in my life that I have to set a phone alarm for or they just don't get done. And so you can use this as a tool of your own transformation. You can change the method. I have a phone uh, alarm in here that goes off at 11 02 every Tuesday because I know exactly what that means. That means one hour from now, I'm going to be on a phone conversation with a person that I'm holding accountable and holding me accountable. Every single week, 11.02, my phone goes off. Super easy to do. That This is taking it from out of the theoretical and putting it into the practical. You transform by renewing your mind, but also by changing your methods as well. All right, very quickly, here's how you can make changes now. Let's just talk about making changes now, this next slide as you go to the next one. This is Brother Saul, Ananias says, Brother Saul, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up. He was baptized, he took some food, he regained his strength, and then Saul immediately goes and he spent several days with the disciples in Damascus and he begins to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm gonna cover even more about this story next week. Such a powerful story. But do you recognize this? Saul finally regains his vision. He finally gets his sight back. And the first thing he decides that he's going to do, he's going to go and start talking to people about Jesus. <laughs> Tell me more about this Jesus. How could he have possibly been the one who identified himself? Those around me didn't hear, but I heard it very clear. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I thought he was dead. What is going on? My whole world has shifted. And then he begins to tell people, for most of us, we don't tell people what God is doing in our lives. And because of that, we're not on the hook and we don't transform the way that God desires for us and the way that we would if we started speaking up and talking about it. Very quickly, make those changes now. Make them now while God is moving in your heart. Here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is, is that most people 
really long-lasting changes happen when you make a commitment and make it accountable, and then you begin to follow through. Even when the desire has faded, the words are there, the structure is there, and you keep moving as you keep transforming. Now, very quickly, a question and a takeaway and a quick little story. Here's the big question. What has God been whispering to you about changing in your life? Now, I cannot tell you what he's been talking to you about. But I have a feeling that if you are like me, there are a few things that you know that if God is whispering in your ear, he's probably talking about certain things that you're doing or that you're not doing. It's something, it's like a very, very small voice trying to change the direction of your life. It's not a Damascus Road experience. You didn't get knocked down off of the things that you were riding, right? You didn't get knocked blind for three days. Most of the time, God's word comes to you quietly. And that is where you begin to make those changes and transform in your life. It actually can save you from pain and difficulty. And then he goes on, How will you benefit from that spiritual growth and who else benefits from that spiritual growth? Let's go to this next slide. I just mentioned it a minute ago. There are people who are likely to benefit from your spiritual growth, your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, your friends, your church, your spouse, the people in your workplace. I could go on and on. And the one thing that combines all of them and is the thread that combines every one of them is you. You begin to let God transform you. Your life changes and the lives of the most important people in your life begin to change and evolve. They grow towards what God wants them to see and experience. A better parent raises a better child. A a better Christian encourages another Christian to be better. You can go on and on. A better husband encourages a wife to be the best that she can be and vice versa. You go on and on and wouldn't you love to see the most important people in your life have a better life because God is doing something in your spiritual growth and you have partnered with him. All right, here's how you apply this message very quickly. You commit to spiritual growth in both your mind and your methods. That means you take time and you begin to listen. You take enough time for God to be able to speak and you let him speak. And then you talk about this accountability and you take action right now. All right, so here is how I hope you will remember this. Let's go to this next slide And I don't know if you recognize these people or not, but that's my dad and my mom. That is my dad and my mom, and they are standing next to a really, really cool car from the 1960s. Isn't that cool? I saw that picture and I was like, Dad, that car is awesome. It's so cool. He's like, yeah. And, you know, I know what some of y'all are thinking. You're thinking, Randy, you've never been skinny like that in your entire life. You know, words can hurt. Don't say those things to me in my head. That's my mom and my dad. My mom's waist was about that big. They're together in Florida hanging out. That was their car before they got married. Later, they had this car. Yes, that is exactly what they had. That is a 1977 Buick LeSabre. 
Yes. You went from having that cool car in the 60s to having that nasty car in the 70s. Forgive me if you ever owned a Buick LeSabre. That is what that is. 1977 Buick LeSabre. Now, you're wondering, why in the world are you talking about a 1977 Buick LeSabre? I'm going to tell you why I am talking about a 1977 Buick LeSabre. Here we go. And hopefully this will help you to remember that God has more planned for you than you can even realize. In the 1970s, there was a woman named Laura Schultz. And it's even a story of the incredible, never too late, the blog says. In 1970s, there was a woman named Laura Schultz who lived in Tallahassee, Florida, 63 years old at the time. One day, she hears screams from her driveway where she has a 1977 Buick parked. Are y'all with me? And she hears her grandson screaming. She rushes out into the driveway and sees that somehow the car has shifted and her little grandson, who's about six years old at the time, has his arms stuck underneath the tire of her Buick. And you saw how big that thing was. You don't exactly move it like it's a Kia, right? I mean, it's a big car. Without even stopping to think, this grandmother of age 63 went over, and yes, you might know what's coming. She reaches down, grabs the back fender, and lifts the car enough for the little boy to retract his arm. It's insane, but it happened. It's a true story. Here's what happened. They got word, kind of got out. And as the word got out, there were people who had talked about human potential and they wanted to uh, visit and interview this woman. She kept saying, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Finally, she gave in on the fourth request. A man said, why didn't you want to talk to me? This is a miracle. This is incredible. Why wouldn't you want to have this out there and the information out there? And she broke down and she cried. And Laura Schultz said to him, she said, I can't think of my life the way that I thought about it before I did something that I thought was impossible. She said, I, I never would have thought that I was capable of something like that. And now at age 63, I have to look back at my whole life and wonder, what have I left undone just because I didn't realize the power that I did have. I hope you will remember this story because what a tragedy it would be as we as Christians stand before our God. And he says, you know, that resurrection power that transformed the dead body of Jesus and brought it back to life, changed everything for everyone from that day forward. That power was residing in you. What did you do with that transforming power? And if you have nothing to say, if I have nothing to say, what have we done with the life that God enabled us and wants us to live? I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly than they could ever even believe. That's what Jesus says. 
May it be so, dear Lord. May we live our lives in ways that display your life-changing and transforming power in every possible way. We love you, Lord, and ask that you would take this word and use it for your good and for your glory. And may we be no longer satisfied to live a ho-hum existence, but instead may we live in victory with you at the very center of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus is the resurrection. There's power in the resurrection. You know, we think about our lives today and we forget that. We forget about the power in the resurrection. And whether God is talking to us through the service today, whether he's talking with us through scripture or others in our lives, or if God is coming straight to us and talking to us, we must remember that Jesus is the resurrection. Uh, yesterday on our, on our trip up here, uh, my kids and I we were listening to a testimony from this guy named John Ramirez, and he was an ex-Satanist. And he grew up, his father uh, taught him to be a Satanist. He went to, you know, witchcraft school and all this crazy stuff. And he served Satan. And just like we serve Jesus, he was hearing from Satan. We must ask ourselves, who are we listening to? And we got in another conversation, my kids and I, because he became an evangelist uh, and, um, you know, he heard God. He had a Damascus moment. He became an evangelist. And so there was that supernatural that took place. But we must understand, like Pastor said, that everything that we do and everything we see and the growth that we have, it's all spiritual. It's all spiritual. And my kids and I, we were having a conversation about, well, how do we know if this or that is, you know, uh, uh, something that Satan is doing and I was trying to explain it to him and I felt like I wasn't doing a good job and then it came to me it was very simple if Jesus is not in the center of what we are focused on it's a Satan but we got to ask ourselves because again we always think about Satan being this dark figure and this evil thing it, it's, it doesn't look like that Satan comes looking very nice very good the things that we love of this world. But we have to ask ourselves, when we are really thinking about what we're allowing to influence our minds and our internal souls and how we're growing, are we growing with things of Jesus or are we growing with things of Satan? You know, in, in, in John 11, Jesus said that, I am the way and I'm the life. And he that believeth in me yet shall he live. He was dead, but yet shall he live. And we gotta remember that all these things that we have going on in our lives, where we may be at in our own spiritual growth, it might feel dead today. We may feel dead today. And I just encourage you to take this, this, this sermon that Pastor just talked about today and use it as a seed that plants in you because the things that we believe that's dead in our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts, that's not true because Jesus is the resurrecting power. And we must know that.
and we must walk into that. And the things that you don't believe that is impossible to change, I know that it is possible. And I know when you're in the middle of it, it's hard. When you're in the middle of going through challenges in your life, whether it's looking for a job or trying to figure out, you know, relationships in your life or whatever, it's hard. But that is the time when we have to lean on God. That's the time we have to say, you know what? I need to step back and reflect on my internal self and how do I grow more spiritually? And when we do that, we allow Jesus to step in and transform us. But me personally, I have a lot going on in my family right now and things feel dead. If I look at the world and from a worldly view, the proof shows that everything's dead. The proof and the evidence shows that it can't live anymore. But I'm here to say that God is a way maker. And I know today that God will, will survive it. He will bring it back to life. And we must believe that. We must believe that in all we're going through and know that, you know what? God is always teaching us something. So focus on this and not allow Satan to change your mindset when things look bad, when we're trying to analyze things and we're trying to look at what the proof shows us in this world. We have to stop that and we have to start focusing on what God is really telling us, putting scriptures in our minds, listening to God's promises and knowing that Jesus Christ is still alive today and that his power is true and his power is real. Lord, Father, I love you. I thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your love, and for constantly talking to us, even though we don't want to listen. And I ask you, Lord, Father, to, to just help everyone understand that we can come to you at any time, at any moment, and that you will hear us and you will respond. Give us that inner peace, Lord, Father, no matter what we're going through. And helping us understand that we, when we are going through these trials and tribulations, Satan is still out there. And he's trying to, to, to steal and destroy, destroy our lives, destroy our hearts, destroy our minds and take over. And so we must constantly, each and every day, be in your spirit and walking you, God. I pray, Lord, Father, that you put a special blessing over this church, Lord, and the people of this church. And allow them, Lord Father, to see you in the darkness and know, Lord Father, that you are a resurrection power and that transformation can happen at any given moment. But we must understand your will and we must go to you. Thank you, God, Father. We love you. Amen. You just heard God's word. Let's go and live it. Thank you.